It's time for Nordic on Tap. Welcome to our podcast featuring interviews, music, folk tales, and lots of hygge, all with a Nordic flavor. I'm your host, Eric Stavney. Summer camp is a time away from your parents to learn how to do something special. How to tie knots, learn new songs, make crafts, go for a swim, walk in the forest with your new friends. In 1979, I was fortunate in that I got to go to a different kind of summer camp in Sandana, Norway. I saved up my money, got some help from my parents, flew to Bergen, took the bus up these windy roads up to the Gloppenfjord, a branch off of the Nordfjord. That's where Sandana was. Camp Norway was an American-run experience to learn Norwegian language and culture in situ, so to speak. The foggy, shrouded mountains and blue fjords were absolutely breathtaking. And the camp staff, along with the farmers and townspeople in the community, all conspired to help us live and speak Norwegian. This was such a great experience that I applied for and landed a job as a kitchen worker two years later. Since I was older than most of the students, I was a sophomore in college and the students typically were high school students, I got to know the staff fairly well. Now there was this one person, not much older than me, who seemed to show up everywhere with a guitar, encouraging students to sing songs in Norwegian, teaching them how to dance as well. Her name was Tulva Dahl, and I remember her as a bundle of positive energy a natural leader. I never knew exactly what her role was at the camp, but I sure knew of the effect she had on people. Over the years, I wondered what became of her and discovered she'd been dean of the Skogfjorden Norwegian camp in northern Minnesota for decades. Skogfjorden, S-K-O-G-F-J-O-R-D-E-N, meaning roughly the forest fjord. Then I learned that she had been knighted by the King of Norway to honor her outstanding service in the interest of the country, and in fact was Dr. Tuvadal with a PhD. That did it. I had to learn more. And so I tracked her down and spoke to her by Zoom in her home in Tromsø, Norway. This is her story. So were were we together in 79 or 81? 81. 81. Okay. So I was at, I was still at I worked at Camp Norway in seventy six no maybe I just worked in seventy seven and then I worked again in eighty one and eighty two. I was in the kitchen in seventy nine. Who was the head cook then? Do you remember? I think it might have been Dan Ryder, was his oh, name. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. For a long time, I worked for Grace. Oh, I remember Grace a little bit. She was a good egg, but she, boy, she made me work hard in that kitchen. That's right. (laughs) I remember once I was, mom came in the kitchen. This is in 77. Mom always peels the rhubarb. That's what a good Norwegian does, right? And I don't like peeling rhubarb and Grace doesn't peel rhubarb. And so I thought, great, I don't have to peel the rhubarb. And then in walks mom. And then we had, and and then I had a loyalty issue. (laughs) (laughs) Mom or my loyalty, great. So can we start by you telling me a little bit about since 
your camp days or things that were going on at the same time, how did you move forward? So first of all, you were born in Bergen, right? Was. Yeah, and you have, uh, well, the old foot feet in two countries, at least. I do. And so I'm a Norwegian citizen, you know, born to Norwegian parents. And we went to the States together when dad had a Fulbright with the intention of being there for a year. But, you know, as, as those things go, you know, it was a good year. So you stay for a second and a third. And the next thing you know, and and my parents thought that we were going back to Norway. So they thought, well, wouldn't it be nice for Tuova to have English in her back pocket as a <laughs> skill? Right? So they spoke English to me. And then and then, you know, at some point, it didn't look like we were going to be going back anytime soon. And, and that language had been cemented as, you know, English was my language with my parents, even though my parents spoke Norwegian to each other. So Skogfjorden then became sort of like their stopgap, like, let's get that language. That, I had been to Norway some before then, but they wanted to unlock whatever was in there and get it moving. So they sent me to Skogfjorden. Uh, so that's how I got started there anyway. And I didn't then, realize you were a student there. That's, that's interesting. For four years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so then, uh, and then, you know, I, there was no, none of the other kids had the same background as I did. So I offered, you know, the counselors to myself until <laughs> last year when I went as a high school credit kid. And for the, and I was 13 and I had never studied grammar before. And so it was, a, you know, I learned as much about language per se as I did about Norwegian that summer. And then eventually, you know, I worked for the, as a babysitter for the dean for two years. And then I came on staff there. And then I was a little bit back and forth between school Putin and Camp Norway before I was asked if I wanted to interview for the job for CLV and the, or what was then called the International Language Villages. And I said, sure, I was 21. And I thought, you know, good work, ex good experience, you know, for my future jobs to have had an interview. And then to my, you know, horror and dismay and excitement, I was actually offered the job as Dean of Skupjorden. So that, so then I didn't go back to camp my way again after that, then I stayed camp and was going to do that for my husband he asked me he, we weren't married yet but he asked me around the time that I was getting started he said how long do you think you'll have this job and I said mm, I don't know five years or something and now it's been 43 44, 43, <laughs> so, 44. <laughs> you, know, you never know and you know and you have to make sure that when you do these kinds of things you know you have to make sure that you're not a drain on the system but I feel like I still have something to offer I hope so and I sure get a lot back so well, you were a live wire back when I knew you, and you still are. <laughs> All the videos I've seen of Skogfjord and, you know, dancing and singing, you're right in there. You're not just standing on a rock and saying, go at it, people. That wouldn't be any fun. <laughs> no, no. I think you were also were involved when we were learning some of the dances in 81, like Laoskoiringen. Um, I don't know what, yeah. Uh, well, or, it was the one that goes Lasse, yeah. yeah, that one. Yep. I think you told me something about lots of gory ringworms and soap on a that's hairy what, bee. <laughs> that's what one of the villagers had sung at school in one summer. We were so surprised. And that then became sort of the what the staff like to think about when they heard this funny, <laughs> funny text. It's a funny text anyway. But yeah, yeah. The worst one is lots of gory ringworms. Was it um, 2009 when you were knighted? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I guess officially in 2008, but then the king's representative came to school and, yeah, yeah. and she did her magic and to everyone's uh, amazement. And then that's when that happened in 2009, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's pretty 
I don't know how unusual it is for to get. Well, you were already were a Norwegian citizen, but you you know to. I've, I've heard it said that you could be called a foreign national as well, and yet you know you were being recognized. And I guess they do that a lot in from Norway. Is that true? Yeah, they, I, well, you know that same year, my father actually got the was knighted that year also for very different work that he was doing. You know, I guess the king just likes to pat people on the shoulder and say good work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who 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 uh, uh, was knighted as well by the king, so that was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. an honor. Yes, it is a real mm -hmm. honor. And instead of some big cathedral, you did it where you were comfortable. That's right. And um, one of the things, you know, I, I have pretty narrow shoulders, you know, I can't carry something like that by myself. So um, that summer, we also established then Skulfjordenridere. So like every villager who, who overnights at Skulfjorden signs a big, wooden, beautiful copy of the medal that I was given <clears throat> with their name. And then they have, they, they officially become Skulfjordenridere or Skulfjorden Knights. And then, you know, the Skulfjorden Knight always does their very best, you know, always aims to do the best as best they can all the time. And then we think that of that as a noble cause. Yes. And, and then kids do amazing things and staff too. Yeah. Well, the psychology of having someone sign on to something, you know, they're committed now, right? And in front of their yeah. peers. Yeah. And so speaking of psychology, so uh, you at some point you went and got a PhD. Was it from Texas? Yeah. So I actually was an English major, uh, got my BA at Augsburg College. Oh, right. Where I, I also worked as a TA for my mom, who was a Norwegian professor there. No kidding. Uh, yeah. I do remember and then, your mom. Anyway, and she, uh, so anyway, and then after that, I was, so I was interested in language, but not necessarily, I didn't know what else I was interested in for sure. And so I finished college and I went off to Norway to make a spinning and weaving curriculum for school students. So I spin... Yeah fun and wove all year and as I was doing that I was thinking like what's next and what I came to understand I started looking in college catalogs to see what that actually was and it was called educational psychology was what I was interested in so my husband and I looked at we weren't married yet then but my we looked at lots of catalogs and universities and thought about where he was that the same year that I was doing spinning and weaving in Norway he was a Fulbrighter in Belgium so we were looking at places together and in the end university of texas at austin had something both in educational psychology and linguistics and it turns out that they are both really strong in both fields so that was great i didn't necessarily have a plan to get a phd it's, i kind of back into most things in life and i but i ended up with a phd in the end and i looked at language of course i looked at how we understand things similarly and differently in our native and foreign languages as we're learning right and also how we learn so those are two things that i was really preoccupied with at that time and so then how did you come to be on the faculty of uh, University of the Arctic? How did yeah. that come about? Well, so my husband then got a grant to go to Norway for a year. <laughs> <laughs> so he went there for a year and um, in Trondheim, where I ended up working at a research lab called uh, the Norwegian Institute for Research on Adult Education. Hmm. And uh, so I was there and Kurt was at the university and we had fun years. We stayed another year and then we're going to stay one more year and we were invited to just toss our hats in the ring at UIT or what was then called the University of Tromsø. And they had openings both in English and my husband was a linguist in English linguistics, so English linguistics and, uh, and an ed psych. So we applied and we started here for a year on a lark 
and you know that was in 93 <laughs> and here we are today yeah. how it goes is there anything special about Tromsø that you that attracts you the northern lights perhaps yeah you know um Tromsø is kind of a you know, we are way far north. We are 200 or 200 miles north of the right. Arctic Circle. The sun is setting roughly today for the year and won't be back until the end of January <laughs> in the next year. But but nonetheless, it's, you know, we can thank the Gulf of Mexico for actually having a mild climate. So I'm, I'm on an island, so I'm surrounded by water that never freezes. So as a result, even though we're very far north and we have really extreme light, the temperatures aren't nearly as extreme as you would imagine. So having grown up in Minnesota, the temperatures are way right, more extreme. Right. But here, here it never really gets bitter, bitter cold on the coast, right? It never really gets hot either. <laughs> but so I'm here for the winters and, you know, so they're relatively mild. And then I go off to the States to work at school food in the summertime where it's always a guaranteed summer. So I really live a charmed life that way. In terms of the university, then the university wants to, to um, do good research, you know, good basic research and applied research like every university, but encourages us to try and tie things to the northern Norway experience. And so I have done research on, for example, uh, sleep patterns in the north with a developmental psychologist colleague, um, Lisa Sethry Hofstad, who was at Concordia College. I've done I've done research on experience of the high north from the road. Right. Uh, you know, I so that those are my ties to northern Norway. I saw the abstract for that motorist. Uh, kind Whizzing of, through the... Yeah, yeah, but I'm trying to think of what you came out with. It was like it allowed you to reset the troubles in your. You just kind of got zen. <laughs> Yeah, there's something called right attention restorativeness theory, and it says that when we're out in nature, you know, thing, being in nature provides us escape. It provides us, a, you know, a good time away from other things. It fascinates us, and especially if we feel it's if we're compatible with that environment. And so, what we wanted to know was if that's the case for being out in nature when you're, you know, walking or hiking or tenting or hunting or whatever you're doing. Is that even the case for people who are whizzing through nature in a car? And it turns out that the, nature does does manage to penetrate the car, although I would like for it to penetrate it more by getting people to park their cars and get out and get out into nature. And that research that I was doing spun off of something that was a more basic question, and that was how do we reach people who are in their climate-controlled uh, media center that, that goes 90 kilometers per hour to the landscape? How do we get them to become interested in the nature and culture around them? And how do we get them to stop and experience it? Uh, that was what I was interested in that work. You know, it's interesting. You were thinking of the, the drivers trapped in their car with everything going on. I, thinking of the connections of that to people being stuck at home during in this time of COVID and how yeah. you keep those relationships going, work relationships, friend relationships. Actually, uh, I have a, <clears throat> we did collect data two rounds of data here about, you know, there was a, when COVID started, there was a lot of research that was being done about people's stress, anxiety, um, things related to medication and, and loneliness and so forth. And so I wanted to, to own to turn that on its head and, and see if there were things that were going on during COVID that might have, might've been positive. And so we ended up doing a study where we never mentioned the word COVID. Um, we asked people about when they feel free and how that compares to the year before, that's all we said. 
And we collected those data right after all of these restrictions came and people were sort of in lockdown. And then one year later, we we went out to a new group of people and asked them to see if we can could see if people have had adjusted themselves to, with some constraints, do you find openings in other places where maybe you didn't take advantage of those openings before? And we, we're not done analyzing the data yet, but we do see that people can feel free even when they're constrained and also maybe you don't seek out such populous places to be but maybe you seek out particularly here in norway people were were much more outside in the nature because that those are places that were safe and we looked at these things like where do people escape to where do they feel like they actually get to um cut ties with their everyday and feel fascinated and we're looking to see if those things even happen during COVID times yeah then there's uh, something I, I saw about a four-phase model for, uh, what was it, interest development? Yes, that I just this is my newest article and I'm so excited about it <laughs> because, so in, you know, so I used to study motivation for a while and I wasn't happy with where the literature was taking me. And, and interest is something that's not a goal-oriented behavior, at least in the beginning. It's a feeling we have inside and it's actually an adaptive feeling. So you know, we have this fight or flight. If we see something that's unknown, novel, uncertain, you have the fight or flight thing, right? So you, where you, you, you just want to protect yourself. And actually uh, the oldest part of our brain is it lights up like that before we even have a thought, it's already checking out the environment and it's, it's setting in motion a whole bunch of chemical processes to make us aware that we need to be cautious. But if that was the only mechanism we had in our system, then we would never evolve as individuals and certainly not as as humankind, right? So the body has later developed another um, uh, feeling that we get, which is interest, which makes us want to explore and discover and, and when we meet those things that are novel or uncertain. And so we have both of those things going on. And so if we have, if we have that feeling of interest, it moves us, it, it gets us to approach things that we want to know more about. And in this theory that we've, I've been working with, there are interests ebb and flow. And so, you know, you can be sort of super interested in something for a while and then you lose interest, or maybe I'm only interested in it when I'm talking with you because it's an interest that you have and you, you draw me in. And then when I leave, I don't have that interest personally myself. And so it's always moving. And so what I wanted to understand was how, what is it? What are the mechanisms, me mechanisms behind that? And how can we use those to help, for example, students become more interested in their work so that the work is, a, they get more of that um, involvement with their work for free because it's something that, they, that they're driven to, right? And the same thing when we're out traveling, for example, you know, what is we can do to sort of increase people's interest. And then, but it's not just to get them interested, but they want to maintain that interest and, to me, the ultimate goal is to come to care, help people come to care about something. But that, but there, that little eye of the needle is pretty narrow in terms of what we go, where we have an interest that is supported by others, and when that interest becomes mine that I pursue, because we only have so many hours in a day and days in a life, right? So, so we have in order to understand what what it takes to bump people up there, and, and when when things sort of fall through that crack again we had to have some way to measure that, some way to to capture that. And so I just published a tool that we can use to try and get a peek at some of those mechanisms. So I'm super excited about that. Was that the trick, T-R-I-Q? <laughs> that was a that clever. The, the, the <laughs> interest questionnaire. And, and <laughs> 
the title of the article is here's the trick right and then at the end i say you know so is this going is this going to help us learn more about uh, you know what interest is and how it works and then the last question the article is well that's a trick question (laughs) (laughs) very clever but I wanted to call it the Trumse interest questionnaire because I always want to name things if I can to call attention to the good work that's being done in this part of the world. So you're right in the middle of Sami country too, right? Definitely. So the signs in, in so there, there are certain places in Norway where the Sami is an official language and then signs and, and official documents and things like that have to be in Sami also. So we have two official Norwegian languages and then you have the Sami language in certain areas. And so the signs at the, at the university, they are in Sami. I see it every day. As I've been researching Sami for myself, I ran into this fellow Harald Gaski. Oh, is yeah. he on he on the faculty with you? He he is. And he's a good guy. And you know, actually we have a place at Skopjuren that is out in the woods and it's it's not it's by no means every guest who gets to see it because it's it's way back in the woods and in a quiet place, but it's a place where there's a natural uh, source of water and we wanted to give it a Sami name. And we had some ideas about what we hope to see happen in the minds and hearts and souls of the people who go there. And then we described the place to Harogaski and he helped us name it. And so it's called Rafi Aya, which is Sami for peaceful. Or do you know? Do you speak Sami? No, I wish. <laughs> it means peaceful little stream. And he also has a book called uh, In the Shadow of the Midnight Sun, I think. I it's think there are of- pieces of it. And since you told me that there is a, a Scandinavian basis to the University of Texas, was it? Was yeah. It, yeah? So he's got a bunch of, seems like some of the writings from that book on a server at the University of Texas. And I could right. not figure out what does Texas have to do with Sami or Scandinavia? And now I understand the connection. We have a, we have a very good um, Scandinavian studies part, department there. I taught there when I was in graduate school. Oh, shoot. Now I should, I should be able to name these, these really good people for you. And, and I'm not remember them off the top of my head, but they, nonetheless, he, they work with Harald Gaski and, and, and also Nisasak Valkipe. And, um, but anyway, that book, we use that book at camp because at camp at school food and we have a, a Sami center, so to speak, where the kids can go to travel and time and through time and space and uh, experience some of the history or the times of the Sami in Norway. Uh, and so his book was really informative to us to how to create experiences for kids to understand Norway. They know, the yes. Sami know, yes. that's different than the Norway from others in Norway. Oh, that's interesting. Um, the closest I've gotten so far to Sami-related uh, things is I was able to interview Mari Boina. Oh. Wasn't I lucky? Yes. <laughs> yeah, she came to Seattle to give a concert. And so that was a real joy. She's something, isn't she? Yes, she sure is. She, she is sure a is. teeny tiny, powerful woman. Yes, she is short. And yet when she was up on stage, she, she owned the room. I mean, there's no question. And did you just mention Nils Oslak Valkiapa or however you say his yeah. name? Yeah. 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 Another... Yeah. Yoiker and Sami traditionalist, right? Poet. Yeah. Yeah. Although he passed away young, unfortunately, passed he was. Yeah. But he, but there actually is a concert now coming up where they're celebrating, I think maybe it's 20 years since he died, actually, but that where they're celebrating his music and what he brought 
to what he brought to to life through his work actually yeah. and he was he was one of those multi multi artists what do you call multi culture we say yeah. Yeah. He, he wrote and he performed and he sang and he was just a he was amazing i've heard the term renaissance man yeah. or woman yeah interesting yeah mm. yeah i once read a book it was written by a, a novelist here jack vance was his name and it's fiction and it's called the languages of pow and in in that there was this idea that i guess it, it's called uh linguistic determinism something about yeah. how language mm -hmm. directs the consciousness and perceptions of of society and this is one of those perennial questions that, that yeah. keeps coming back so we're not done with it yet but this that there was a strong hypothesis which yeah. was that language controls thought and that just wasn't, that was too strong. But the fact that language influences thought, absolutely, absolutely. And so that's why it's so fun to learn another language because yes. you see how people encode in their language the same things that you look at with your American eyes with different eyes, right? right. So, or my Norwegian eyes with somebody else. And so that's one of the big things that the language villages, you know, is learning the language is not just about understanding, it's not Google Translate. <laughs> there's so much culture that's embedded in language how yes. you use the language when you use the language what the word actually means the boundaries for the word like you know i study learning and the word study in english does not translate to norwegian i can't there's no easy match so anytime we do anything where we have to translate something from english to norwegian we have to decide what do we mean by study in this case and in the states you don't think about it right and then there's other words like for example this summer the villagers uh, came uh, a little broken, some said, because of what they had experienced during these corona times. And we, it had been two summers since we had gathered face to face. And now this summer we gathered face mask to face mask to start out with. And then eventually we were able to be face to face. But what I saw was that, okay, the kids had had some experiences that maybe were less than ideal compared to what we are used to having otherwise right and they were super excited to be face to face again with their friends and interact normally because we were in quarantine and we were able to take away all of those restrict most of those restrictions but what i saw was that they had a lot of oomph at them they had a lot of they, they were capable they were interested they were robust and i wanted to remind them of that so at the end the last week we we're together i just wanted them to leave stronger and i gave them this phrase which is I like that. <laughs> Thank you. But fiend does not have a nice translation into English because right. fiend does not mean just fine. Like I'm fine. It's not that. And it doesn't, it doesn't only mean you're looking good, but it means that I am all around. I am so fine, right? You are so fine. And so that's one of those words where, okay, I'm using it in this phrase. And I, I hope the kids understand how big that word fiend is. Yes. Uh, when they think about to themselves, when they say to themselves, yeah, I fiend, it's, it's the whole you, everything about you. That's what that word holds, which I think is so nice. Yes, that's a nice mm. mantra to have. Going back to language acquisition, I very definitely learned a lot of my Norwegian through music, through mm -hmm. art, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that was, in, and in fact, that's kind of the, it's it's a gateway into the language because it's it's fun, right? And I I guess I got some of that from you. Uh, I think that's and a gateway into the culture as well, right? That's so nice to hear. I'm glad, and I think also that music is powerful because it provides us with 
cues, you know, that, that even if you don't understand every word because of the rhythm and the, and the music and, you know, and the fact that maybe you're singing in a community, we get something out of our mouth and slowly but surely uh, those things that might not have been clear to us initially are still kept. We can still sing them, even though we don't know exactly what we're singing, just like it is with pop songs that we think we know and turns out we don't know. But eventually then you can unpack those as you become more proficient and it's an important tool. So say we are talking about kids and the development of, of children by learning a language. What can we say to them? How would we get them interested in Skogfjorden or any of the other summer camps? Well, so the, the programs are, you know, the language is like the, it's a veneer, but we're doing a lot of stuff with the language, right? So if you love soccer, if you love swimming, if you oh. love um, playing with kids from around the country, if you love uh, eating good food, if you like trying things that are new, all of those things we do every day. That's a part of what we do. And it's and it's if you like traveling, you know, you before you come to the villages, you're, you're sent a passport in the mail, and then you literally cross a border and come into a village where the the things that we talk about, the mute, the artists who play on the radio, the food we eat, the the things you can buy in the store, the money you use to buy it, all of that is Norwegian. Wow! So it's like traveling to Norway. Only instead of um, sink or swim, everybody there knows that you are somewhere on the Norwegian scale and and we'll meet you there and then we'll take you a little bit further so you don't have to know a word before you come or you can know some and we'll meet you there and we'll take you further no matter what uh, so it's uh, immersion with a safety net I guess ab absolutely <laughs> that's exactly right you know and I have this um you know I I have these my, I'm a simple person in the sense that I like to have so those are little things to hang on to to remind me what it, my purpose is, right? And so, you know, my, my goal is always to do my best to help you do your best. So we can all do our best for each other, right? And so that the language villages, that's what they're all about. You know, it's inspiring, courageous global citizens. And so, you know, to be a global citizen, we want a healthy world. And so everybody has to do their best to make it so. And, you know, I'll do my best to help you do your best so we can all, you know, do our best for each other. But also at Skogfjorden, in addition to in trying to inspire and courageous global citizens, we also, we have a, a promise that we make to the kids. And that is, in English, it is, um, I am responsible and accountable for establishing and maintaining a vibrant school community where everyone is and feels safe. Both of those are super important. Everyone belongs. Norwegian is at the heart of everything we do. Connections to Norway are affirmed and expanded and that everything we do is uh, teamwork is based on individual contributions within this grand grand scheme of inspiring courageous global citizens so in that there's a lot right we baked yeah. in a lot of things yeah. there that we, we we look out for each other we create a home for each other that's like first that's the most important thing of all and then in that home we do things norwegian ways yeah Skogfjorden is part of the greater, is it Concordia language villages? So we, we offer lots of languages, like 15 or so in the summertime, and everything from the school languages, French, German, Spanish, to Russian, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Portuguese, the Scandinavian languages, Norwegian, Swedish, and also Finnish. I'm missing some. We have had English programs. We have, for adults, we have things in Farsi and, and we, Arabic. I mean, we just, lots of, lots of languages. And so everybody is interpreting this mission of inspiring courageous global citizens with a number of sub points, though, um, in terms of their 
language community. And, you know, the Arabic community interprets it differently and has this really cool program that looks nothing like the Norwegian program. <laughs> and yet the, the things that we're, that's underlying everything we're doing is the same. So we have uh, those other programs going on at the same time or during throughout the year. I didn't realize you had adult programs too. We do, and you yeah. can um, you can come either virtually to coffee hour or or to regular class, or you can come to the village itself and enjoy a fall, winter, or spring weekend. Okay, we'll take Fili Boom Boom, and this particular song, the the verse is about you know different ways to greet each other and have a good day, right? This song was one of several that Tova taught me in 1981 at Camp Norway, some 40 years ago. It talks about how this made-up phrase, fiddly bom bom, can mean whatever you want it to mean. Hello, goodbye, sleep well, and so forth. Bottom line, it means you're happy. This kind of sums up one of Tova's many talents nicely as an infectiously positive person. I actually recorded Tulva teaching us this song in 1981. We're singing it as a round, it's pretty chaotic, but I wanted you to hear what I heard then. And I'll segue into our 2021 version. So, so much i really appreciate this opportunity and uh thank yeah. you bye see now. you mm -hmm. yeah talk have a good day be serious. i hope you too will get in touch with the language art and music of some other culture for all the reasons we just discussed and remember the skogfjorden mantra which i would liberally paraphrase i am a wonderfully whole and strong person I am the knight in my own life, an advocate for what is good and honorable in humankind. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daryl Jackson at daryljacksonmusic.com. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Eric Stabney. Until next time, Viseas. Viseas.